0: Things in terms of uh, things might be good for you to know in terms of summer. Um, uh, if you if you have a tendency of being hot in this building on Sunday mornings, you probably want to sit like over here near where the blowers are blowing out. If you have a tendency to get cold, you probably want to sit in the back row because um, we can't we have so much control of the air conditioning. It's loud, so if you think it's too loud, then we turn it off. Then it gets too hot. Then we turn it back on. It gets too loud. So uh i've 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 told people right now comfort needs a trump sound so i'll just talk louder if the sound's too loud for you um i'd rather talk louder than to have all of us sweat so anyway so if you're if you like to be cooler i think the front rows are cooler i don't know maybe not yes okay i hear that front rows are cooler so you might see people in the sweat wearing sweaters in the front rows and you're wondering what's up with them but that's because the fans are blowing on them so anyway let me pray god uh thanks for your holy spirit uh, thanks f- for his presence and that, like I said before, on June 12, 2011, on this day, in this place at the corner of 3rd and Lincoln, we believe your Holy Spirit is present um, in a way that we don't always understand, but we know in somehow in the invisible world there's a reality we can encounter and, and interact with uh, that will bring us life. So we want to listen to what your Spirit says to us, so give us ears to hear and uh, courage and grace to respond. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, uh, top 10 here. Um, Top 10 best smells. All right, now, this I found on a blog from Joe and Camille Jennings of Pennsylvania. I have no idea who they are, but if it's on a blog, it must be true and verifiable, right? All right, I just happened to find this one I thought was interesting. Top 10 best smells. Number 10, fresh laundry. All right. Number nine, freshly painted walls. All right, number eight, chocolate chip cookies. Assuming they're cooking. Number seven, Sharpie pen. Now, don't smell it too many times. You might get a headache, all right? Number six, a new can of tennis balls, all right? Now, if you want to, I can give you the, you want to see a picture of these people, and they're all on their blog spots. So again, if it's on their blog, it has to be true. All right, number five. Babies, Not the diaper smell. For those of you who have babies and diapers now, but of course, the fresh pink smell of babies. All right, number four, top 10 best smell, the ocean. All right, imagine right now if we all closed our eyes, pretend you were on the beach and could smell and hear the ocean, we would all kind of relax. Number three, Christmas trees. Number two, cinnamon. This one I didn't know. I, I don't smell cinnamon. I mean, not out of the bottle. You, get, you end up coughing anyway. But anyway, all right, number one. Freshly brewed coffee in the morning. That's why I chose this one because these people obviously have number one right. So uh, now I want you to I want you to pick one of those. I want you to pick one of those right now that you, that you would say that if you had a chance just to kind of sit and exhale and relax in that environment and smell that, or if you're holding a you know freshly clean baby, uh, I want you to sit. I want you to close. Pick a smell. Then I'm going to ask you to close your eyes in a second. All right, pick a smell. Pick whichever one of those that you think gives you uh, some degree of rest and peace and kind of like wholeness kind of feelings, all right? And I doubt if anybody's choosing Sharpie pen, but if you want to, that's fine too. All right, go ahead and close your eyes. All right, now just, uh, you know, exhale and inhale a few times and just uh, remember the smell. Be there just for a minute. We're not, we're not going to, I'm not going to hypnotize you or anything, don't worry. Focus on the smell. What are you smelling? All right, come back to reality. Come on. (laughs) Now, my guess is, if you're like me, I was envisioning the ocean because I love being at the ocean. I love smelling the salt water. I love even smelling the chlorine of the pool nearby. And it's amazing how when you're how smell can actually calm you. You know, think of walking into your grandma's home on Thanksgiving. You smell the Thanksgiving meal being made. The aroma has a some kind of inviting, calming effect. Or if it's baking bread, or if it's freshly fresh, clean baby, or fresh sheets at your house, or whatever. There's something about those, and you just kind in, of something inside you almost a weird kind of peace. I mean, over clean things and things that smell well. Now, here's the question. Go back to the list for a second. What, what would Jesus have said? Does he, did he have a favorite smell? Did he have a favorite aroma? Probably not Christmas trees because we didn't have him yet, you know, because Christmas was after that. But one thing I want to look at today is it seems like God makes a big deal about aromas. And it seems like God makes a big deal about it, and the aroma seems to come from us. And it seems like there's an aroma that comes from us that gives God a whole, wholesome, restful, peaceful kind of blessing in the way that we talk about we blessing God. There's something that God gets from us when we're the kind of people he designed us to be, and he has that where God is blessed by us. So we're going to look at that day. It's kind of this interesting story from the Gospel of John and that, where the, a fragrance and an aroma is involved, but there's more than just a story we're going to look at today because it's an interesting story about what happened to Jesus. Uh, this is actually a week or so before his crucifixion, all right? So we're going to go to John chapter 12. If you remember last week in John chapter 11, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And if you also remember the Pharisees, and they were the kind of these religious elite, and they were incredibly spiritually proud, they were the arrogant ones, and I said before, let's not forget that we could be like them, so we're not saying they're the bad guys, we're saying we understand how people can become that way, because we can. They wanted, at this point, they're already planning to kill Jesus. So the gospel is not, no longer, and never has been a hallmark kind of feel-good story, because... From the very beginning of the Gospels, Jesus is signing his own death warrant because he's messing with the status quo. So Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. We get a report early in the chapter that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were now intent on killing Jesus because we can't have that because now he's getting too much of a following. So think about the, the weird kind of spiritual psychology going on here. We want to kill this guy because he's, he's messing up our show. He's messing up the way we've de- designed the religious people to respond, all right? John 12, six days before the Passover celebration, all right? Passover was celebrating the children of Israel leaving in Egypt. They did it every year. It was a whole big, big celebration religious of the Jewish people. Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. All right, just a little bit of a geography here. Bethany is about two miles from Jerusalem, right over the Mount of Olives. And I said before the Mount of Olives, is really it's a small, small mountain, like a big Brown County hill almost. So Jesus is actually he had been like way over here a few days before, and he starts moving toward Jerusalem in the Passover, and he knew he was moving toward his death, and he knew that the, the, the religious elite bigwigs in Jerusalem were looking for a chance to get him. so he's moving closer to Jerusalem, he raises Lazarus from the dead, now he 's in Bethany, two miles, you know, not, not a real long walk away to Jerusalem. But again, keep in mind the context, so as the next part of the story gets really. Brutal and intense and, uh, and then eventually victorious for Jesus because he's the death and his resurrection, all right? So that's where we are. Next one, he's at the house. A dinner was prepared in his honor. Martha, remember, was Lazarus' sister. Martha served and Lazarus among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce, Mary, was another sister. Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard and she anointed Jesus' seat with it. Wiping his feet with her hair, the house was filled with the fragrance. All right, we'll come back to fragrance. Remember aroma, smell, house was filled with the fragrance. All right, next one. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Go ahead. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. All right. and then last one. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priests decided to kill Lazarus too, get rid of the evidence. For it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. See, they were losing their following, these religious elite people, and they were so intent on living their religious life the way they wanted to, which was all controlled by them, they were even going to kill Lazarus. I mean, just think about how spiritually weird that is. But again, like I've said, we have our own spiritually proud moments, but we can't always just point our fingers and and call them evil, because we can see how we can do those things, and we do get those do those things. All right, now, I'm going to go back to the beginning of the story here. We're going to look at a few things, all right? Let's go back to the first part. Mary takes a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume, all right? Lazarus said, I mean, Judas said, and other gospels, other, other people at the table said this too, it was worth a year's salary. That's expensive perfume, all right? Mary took what was worth a year's salary, expensive perfume, and she anoints Jesus' feet with it and then uses her hair to wipe off his, off his feet. And then we read, the house was filled with the fragrance. And it's interesting that John, we're assuming John might have been in this situation, or else whoever told John about it, it's a pretty good, safe assumption that John was there, one of the closer disciples. But he mentions the fragrance. Now, let's do do kind of a rewind back into the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, there's a phrase that shows up a bunch in the first five books of the Old Testament. And the phrase is this, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. All right? Let me just read one passage. It shows up 40, 41 times. But, like, for example, it's all about how they're supposed to worship. And then, remember, they, they, would, they would present animals for sacrifice, grain for sacrifice. They would sacrifice things to God. I mean, from the very beginning, Cain and Abel... Uh, Cain brought, it said, some of his crops. Abel brought the first portion of his stuff. And Abel's was more honorable to God because he brought the first portion of his to God. After Noah and the flood, it said Noah offered a a sacrifice offering to God. And Genesis 8 says, and it was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Then in the book of Leviticus and Numbers and all over the place, it says things like, uh, you must present a grain offering consisting of four quarts of choice flour moistened with olive oil it will be a special gift a pleasing aroma to the lord and then it talks often about a lamb sacrificing a lamb to god and the lambs had to be what no defect choice lamb had to be choice flour, had to be a first portion of of their crops and think about this for a second doesn't that seem wasteful i mean you're your living is, is your sheep and your crops. And God says, take the best stuff you have and just burn it. I mean, that's, let's be kind of crass. That's what they're doing. Just burn it. Just waste it. What What's God up to with that? Take the best stuff you have. Nothing defective. Choice flour, choice olive oil. Take even some of the best wine you have and waste it. Sometimes they would eat the lamb afterwards. Sometimes they would just burn it all up. But 41 times in the Old Testament it says that was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Pleasing aroma. Say say that phrase. A pleasing aroma to the Lord. Now, do you think it was really that God had some kind of nose and could smell it? No, there's something else going on. What's pleasing aroma is not the actual sacrifice. It's the heart that brought the sacrifice. And it's the heart that brought the sacrifice that was without defect, that was choice, and it was the first portion of what they had. And so it's no, it's no accident that John mentions the house was filled with the fragrance. And later in the Old Testament, there's times where they, they start bringing crippled animals or animals they stole from somebody else or animals that were just not quite up to snuff. And they would offer those to God thinking, what's the difference? The smell's the same. I mean, whether the lamb has a broken leg or not, what's the difference to God? It smells the same. But think about that for a second. If you're, you know, we're, if, 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 if you were owning all these sheep and you got to pick the best one out and that's when you kind of waste. And I mean waste, and I'll explain that in a minute. But let's think about Mary now. Put yourself in Mary's shoes. Her, her brother's just raised from the dead. She's been a follower of Jesus for at least, you know, number of, a few years. And she's getting ready to go to this dinner it wasn't at their house, but it was somebody else's house. What was she thinking? Did she, did she think, did she go through her perfume stuff and say, well, here's the cheap stuff from Walmart. I could use that. Here's, I got that at JCPenney on sale. Somebody gave me that for Mother's Day, and I hate the smell. I could bring those. But then over here I have this perfume that I've had for, it's like the best of the best. Somebody gave me like for a super-duper present. And I, I, I've never really used that because it's just so, that's what I'll do for Jesus. I mean, think about that for a second. Put yourself in Mary's shoes, but she was eternally grateful for what Jesus had done. And so she gets the best fragrance, the most expensive, the costliest choice, and she brings it to Jesus, and she dumps it on his feet, dumps it, pours it on his feet, uses her hair to clean it up. And John says, and the room was filled with the fragrance. And I'm sure the fragrance John is talking about was not just the essence of nard, which I have no idea what that smells like. So if somebody wants to bring some nard sometime, well, we'll smell it. But, but I'm guessing the, the fragrance was also enhanced by the heart of Mary, who was offering the fragrance. Now, next slide here. Most expensive perfume in the world. If you want a bottle of this for your wife on Mother's Day or birthday, you have to shell out $215,000. Imperial Majesty by Clive Christian. Now, the reason it's $215,000, though, it's in a crystal bottle with a diamond encrusted on it and gold around the, the rim. The, the perfume itself still, in this bottle, 16 ounces, would cost $35,000 just for the perfume if you got it in a Dixie cup, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, but just think, think, again, think about Mary getting... The best perfume that she had, and in some sense, maybe the best money could buy. We don't know what Mary's occupation was. Some people think she had like a shady background. We don't know exactly, but somehow she had the, the means to get the best. Um, and it seems like that's a challenge often. I, I, and I'm not just talking here about money that we give or don't give to God or ministry. I'm talking about sometimes our time— Are we willing to give our best time of the day to God? Are we willing to give some of our best energy to God? Um, I think, if we're honest, if we were all around there, if we would have been in Mary's place or in Mary's friend, I'm like, Mary, Mary, Mary. No, no, no. Get something else. You can sell that. There's a lot of money in that. Jesus won't know the difference. Because he wouldn't have, I don't think. So it's interesting how... Cost somehow means something to God that we offered him because she wasted it in one sense. But it seemed like it brought God an incredible amount of pleasure because she wasted the best. All right, now, next part. Go ahead, next slide. Next part of the, Judas was a little bit ticked off. And what's interesting in the other two other gospels, same story, it doesn't just say Judas was a little bit irritated. It says some of the disciples were too. So we're not off the hook here because we can look at, oh, good, Judas had decided he was having a, he was a dark man and had a bad day and he was going to betray Jesus anyway. So I don't have to deal with this. But then it said, no, some of the disciples and others at the table had the same thought. Should have been sold and money given to the poor. One of the gospels says, and they criticized her harshly. So here she is pouring perfume on Jesus' feet. And some of these people are getting what other, some of the other gospels say are indignant. They're like, what is she doing? All right, now think about that again. Now put yourselves in those seats at the table. You're not Mary anymore, and we're not Jesus. None of you are. None of us are. But now you're at the table, and you see this woman come in. You know it's Mary. You know she's grateful for what God Jesus did for Lazarus and other things. But you also know that what she's opening one of these crystal bottles of perfume, and you're kind of thinking, I don't know what you're thinking. I'd be thinking, wow, that's... I mean, not only is she pouring perfume, but she's kind of wiping his feet with her hair. That's a little bit embarrassing. And it's not, it's embarrassing for me watching her. And that's, you know, I'm not sure she really needed to do that. I mean, me, if I'd have been married, I would have said, hey, here, Jesus, here's a box of perfume. Have a good day. I mean, but to, to actually pour it on him and kind of humiliate yourself, what looks like humiliating yourself, but it's really humbling herself in a really strong kind of way. And it says they were indignant toward her. Now, let's look at this word indignant for a second. I don't know if you've seen these things. How are you feeling today? You know, uh, all these different emotions. I'll pick, th- I'll pick three out that I think capsulize indignant. Indignant is the feeling that you have towards someone else. And let's talk about it in spiritual religious terms. Where you have somewhat of a smug, disgusted, angry reaction at someone else's religious preferences or religious choices. Or ways in which they express their love for Jesus. I've mentioned before when I was around people for the first time that used to close their eyes and lift their hands during worship, I was indignant. And my response was, oh, come on, open your eyes. What's the big deal? Who you, who you, what do you think you're doing? You trying to impress people with your closed eyes? Oh, and again, I'm not saying that closing your eyes or lifting your hands is like some spiritually superior thing. Although there are ways in which our bodies are engaged in worship, which I think honors God, but my guess is you all, like me, have been indignant at times. Maybe you didn't want to call it that because that sounds like a strong term, but you've been indignant at times when somebody's been doing something, whether it's expression of worship or some other expression of their love for Jesus, that you thought just was a little bit over the top, just a little bit, and you would never do that, and you were indignant you had a sense of yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't do that the little over the top and we're really good at that we're really good at kind of judging especially other other branches of christianity other churches you may be indignant toward people that use hymn books yeah that's kind of old-fashioned i mean who wants to sing out of a book you may be indignant toward people that raise their hands you may be indignant toward people that sing loudly you may be indignant toward certain songs i don't know And it's okay if you don't like something, if it's not your preference. But you cannot have a preference and still not have that spiritual attitude of indignance towards someone. But we do that. But what would, now let's be Mary again. What is it about Mary that she didn't care what people thought about her? I mean, she's down on her hands and knees pouring perfume on Jesus' feet that are probably dusty. And then she uses her hair to clean it off. She threw dignity out the window. And again, if I'm Mary, I'm walking in, and I'm thinking, I I think I want to pour this on Jesus' feet, but there's going to be a crowd there. I don't know how to do it. And then you go in the door, then you walk around the block a few times trying to think, how am I going to do this? And I know I think I'm supposed to. And then you go in there, and you're like, he's talking to somebody. I don't want to interrupt him. And maybe I'll just hand it to him. Maybe I'll just suggest he might put it on his feet. And I don't know. That's what I would be doing. Especially if I knew that's what I was supposed to do, if God wanted me to do that. And then, then you break through a barrier of just kind of reckless abandon in a good kind of spiritual way, and she probably just dropped to her knees, opened it up, and just poured away. And at that point, she didn't care what any of those people that are on the table were thinking anymore. She didn't care. I'd love to be like Mary someday. I'd love to not care about what other people think about me and how I express myself and my love for Jesus, whether it's here, singing, or whether it's how I spend my money or whatever else. I'd love to be like Mary and not care anymore about what people think about me, especially about how other Christians think about me and whether I've kind of violated dignity or not. Um, one of my one of my favorite stories—it's uh, true stories—from a pastor. He's kind of a mentor of mine. His name's Jack Hayford. He's told a story early in his ministry. He was in Africa on some kind of a trip with a, some churches, and during a worship service in Africa, these people were doing this kind of jig, kind of a dance as part of worship. And he said, "I was sitting on the platform, and he, he was kind of imitating what it was like. He said it was just it looked kind of silly to me, and he said I was just kind of, eh, okay, whatever. And he said I was kind of smug and I was indignant, but I was very, I was very religious at the moment. I smiled and clapped, and they were done or whatever." And then I went home, and he said, months later, I'm having my own morning time with God. And I just felt really close to God. And I said, I said God, I would do anything for you. And he said, I heard God say to me, will you dance for me? He this is his privacy of his own home. Nobody's looking. And his first reaction, as would mine or yours probably be, is like, really? I mean, I don't think it was God. There must be something else going on there. Then you have a clear sense that God said, no, I want you to dance for me. And even if you're in a deserted home with nobody for 100 miles around, you still feel kind of self-conscious, don't you? Put yourself in that situation. And then he finally came up with, a, oh, God, I, I would, but I don't know any dances. And God said, you know, one, the one you made fun of in Africa six months ago. And he said he cried like a baby and danced before the Lord in the secret of his own house. And I, when I heard that story from that man, it can, it, that's, I thought that's, there's something there that appeals to me as a man, not just as human, even as a man, that a man is willing to kind of drop his guard before the Lord. And I think about, it, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but even when I'm in my own home and in my basement, even if I, there's, I mean, I'm not, you know, I don't do it all the time. I'm not like super spiritual every morning, but there's some mornings Well, maybe we'll stand up and, and sing quietly so I don't wake the kids up. But I feel awkward even putting my hands up when I know nobody's looking. Because my fear is, well, somebody's gonna somebody's gonna see me. Well, I could close all the shades, and I could be in the middle of the Mojave Desert, and I would still feel self-conscious. And you would too. Why? Because we have this internal sense of dignity. Well, I can't really, I can't really do that. Now, let me go ahead here for a second. I'm going to jump ahead. I jump behind actually, because at this point, I'm going to talk to half of the group here. All of the, the rest of you, half can listen. So I'm going to talk to the men here. Because at this point in the story, it's good for us to see Mary do that while she made a big costly decision financially, sacrifice, and she kind of made a really emotional expression of her worship to God. And I'm glad that's what women do, but that's not me, I'm a guy. And some of you men may have been thinking that, and if you weren't thinking it, was probably down in your subconscious somewhere. Yeah, it's okay for women to kind of violate dignity. Um... King David, 1,000 B.C., Um, if you don't know much about David, he was powerful, one of the greatest leaders ever, greatest warriors ever. I mean, he killed people for a living as a a warrior. He was a tough guy, strong man. He was probably built really well. He was a man's man, all right? There's one particular story where They're bringing the Ark of the Covenant. You know, the thing that Indiana Jones was looking for. They're bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. It had been in captivity for years. And that signified to them the presence of God returning to his people. And David was elated. All right? And it said that David, the king, dressed in his dignified, kingly outfits. And he was a warrior, a leader, to to no compare took off his outer king's robe. All he had on was a linen ephod, which was kind of like a linen robe that really wasn't meant to be worn in public. And it said he danced before the Lord in front of all this big parade. So envision a big parade and some, and the king or the mayor or the president or the governor or whatever else, rips off his sport coat, pulls off his tie, takes off his dress shirt, has a t-shirt on, and his jeans or whatever, and he just dances in exuberance before God. And David's wife, Michael, saw this happening from a distance. She was looking out the window down to the street below, and she was indignant. Because why would a king be so indignified in those ways? And when David came into the house, she said, well, my, how you've distinguished yourself today dancing before all the servant girls like that in your underwear. I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. And, and David's response, and I love his response, and this is what he says. Put it up there. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. So he said, I was dancing before the Lord. And he, and he says this pretty strongly to his wife. I was dancing before the Lord, and I will do it again. Because it said he danced with all his might. And I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. I mean, man, that's a big challenge for us. And what happened, we read that from that moment on, his wife Micah could bear no children because her indignation wasn't wasn't really toward David, it was toward God. And it said that God closed her womb up because she had closed her spirit to God. All right, later though, David is looking for a place, uh, and later in First Chronicles, he's looking for a place to start to build the temple. And he finds this place. It's this big threshing ground for a man named Aruna. And he goes to this man Aruna. And says, "This is where I. Th- this is where we want to build the temple for God. God told me to build a temple. This is where we're going to build it." And Aruna says to him, "Hey, I'll give you the land for free. I'll give you the bulls, the rams. I'll give you the wood, whatever you need. I'll give it to you right now, for free." And I'm thinking, if I'm David, I'm thinking, sweet deal, free. Here, God asked me to do something I thought was going to cost me a lot of money. But this guy's saying, I'm going to give you the land for free. I'll give you the wood for free to offer sacrifice. I'll give you the bulls, the rams, whatever you need. And I'm thinking, David, I mean, I'm, you know, I think of David kind of checking his checking account in his head and thinking, that's a sweet deal. But then he says to Aruna, no, put it up there. I will not present burnt offerings that have cost me nothing. He so I'm going to pay you the full amount for the land, pay you the full amount for every animal you give me to sacrifice. I'm going pay the full amount for every rock and every board, everything, because I will only sacrifice something that costs me something. Because David knew the same principle that Mary knew, the same principle that we challenge ourselves with is there's cost involved in worship. And I don't mean just the musical worship. But when cost is involved in worship, there's a pleasing aroma to God, and God is elated. And not only are we blessing God, but he starts unleashing things on top of us. Two questions. I think, I'll go, I think there's a question I had back, didn't I? Yeah. Question before, for all of us, myself included, are you willing to be more undignified in your expression of love for Jesus? Think of Mary cleaning his feet, washing them with her hair. Think of David dancing before the Lord. I just, I've challenged this way before. Sometime this week, when you're absolutely sure you're in a house that's locked up and nobody's going to see you, do something different in your expression to God. Even if you're not used to raising your hands, and again, there's nothing ultimately spiritual or not spiritual about that. It's not a measurement. Maybe you just for a second, say, "God, I love you." And then put it down real fast so you don't feel weird. Do something different. Stretch yourself a little. If you're not used to kneeling, kneel down for a couple minutes, then get up just in case somebody comes in the house and didn't know and they see you and you're embarrassed. All right? But push yourself a little and ask yourself, are you willing to become more undignified in your expression of love for Jesus? Not not emotionalism, not not craziness, not silliness, not nuttiness. I'm talking about that. I'm talking about a strong sense of humility before God. All right? That's question one. Question two. Are you offering to Jesus only that which costs you little or nothing? And that could be your money. Maybe you're offering Jesus just a leftover when you have a little extra that week or month. Maybe it's your time. Maybe you offer Jesus time during the day to interact with him in prayer or reading the Bible. Maybe you offer him time before you go to bed when you're, you're already half asleep and it's really not the best part of your day. But you want to check it off your list. So you, I'll give him those few minutes. Are you willing to give Jesus the best part of your day, the best part of your money, the best part of your energy, the best part of your time? Because what God seems to want over and over again is he wants the choice flower. He wants the first part of your sacrifice, and he wants things without defect. I mean, it's almost like today I was thinking about this. I was, it was almost like what if, what if God said, okay, take, your, take the new car you just bought and drive it over a cliff as a sacrificial offering to me. We'd be like, that's crazy. But I, I don't think God's saying that to anybody. Please, somebody, nobody try that. But, but that's the kind of one they're saying. God said, I want the best. I want the best from you. So are you offering to Jesus only that which costs you little or nothing? Is there something in your life that you're giving Jesus kind of the crumbs? Um, let me finish with this and we'll lead into communion. Let's go to the next one. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2 kind of continuing the theme of this aroma to God um, this is what Paul writes to the church in Ephesians and as we lead into communion which again is we're, we're celebrating Jesus because when Mary did this Jesus said it's a preparation for my burial so it's a preparation for suffering and then victory and power this is what Paul says to the church in Ephesus live a life filled with love Following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. Read that out. The next part out with me. A pleasing aroma to God. A pleasing aroma to God and sacrifice are kind of tied together. All right? And then, this is what scripture says later or earlier in 2 Corinthians. Now God uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. We're now the, we are now the aroma of Christ to people. And not simply by, you know, how you vote or if you vote for family values or that or that. You're the aroma of Christ by the fact that you have a sacrificial, humble, joyful, loving kind of spirit toward your friends and your neighbors even the neighbors you don't like. That's the way we are aroma to God. And we become this sweet perfume to God. God begins to unleash things in the world and in your neighborhood and in your life because that's the kind of people... That God made us to be, and I think there's joy there, and I think there's incredible pleasure for God there. And you think about, and I'll close with this: in the book of Revelation, it talks about kind of this big worship service going on in, in the, all of eternity that we'll be a part of. That's going on even now, and it says that the, some of the people in the worship, the elders, were holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. It's like God holds our prayers. In bowls, because he loves how they smell to him. He loves when we give ourselves to him. There's something that just lights up in the heart of God toward us. So as we celebrate communion every Sunday, what we do here at Exodus is we, um, because Jesus said, "Do this in remembrance for me. Remember what I came to do for you. Remember the promises. Remember that I showed you that the way to joy is through sacrifice." And so what we do is this is my bread, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And what we do is when we'll, in a second we'll be singing, and everybody's invited to come on up, any of, the, any of the aisles, and we'll offer you the bread. Just tear off a piece. And then, uh, then Jesus said, this is the cup of my new covenant in my blood. I'm going to shed my blood for you, and I'm going to open the way for you to be the kind of people you've always dreamed you could be, full of the life of God. But it's going to be through sacrifice. It's going to be through uh, challenge and difficulty, but there's joy. And he said, every time you drink this, remember me. Remember what I came to do for you. So it acts as what we do. is you tear off the bread and then just dip it in the cup. Don't try to drink out of the cup. We just dip it here. Um, so most people eat it while they're standing here. Other people take it back to their seats. It's up to you. And then at the same time, uh, over on the side, there'll be people in the room to pray for anyone who has anything to pray for. Could be related to something this morning. Might be related to something totally different but they're there simply to pray for you so you may want to go there before or after you take communion it's up to you so um, we'll pray and then we'll sing and as we're singing again you come on up and we'll take communion so jesus thank you that you are the sweet aroma uh, to the heavens and that your sacrifice and your death was the beginning of a, of a incredible time of abundant fragrance in this world and thank you that you've Gave yourself so that we can then have a whole new way inside of us to become alive in god And we're grateful for what you do for us and what you will do for us And we remember you uh, with joy. We ask this all in the name of jesus. Amen
1: I look to the cross, I cling of its suffering I do dream of its work I do say for all it my Savior. is just, and at cross you beckon me. You draw me gently to my knees, and I am lost. gift, an undeserved life, have I been given. Through Christ crucified, you called me out of death, you called me into life. 'Cause I was under Your wrath, and through the cross I'm reconciled. And at the cross, You beckon me. You tell me gently to my knees, and I am lost for words, so lost in love, I'm sweet. Me. You tell me gently to my knees, and I am lost for words. So lost in love, I'm sweetly broken. In all of the cross, in all of the cross, I must confess. Wonders wonder, sure redeeming love, and how great your faithfulness and at the cross you beckon me you draw me gently to my knees and i am lost for words so lost in love i'm sweetly broken So uh, it's kind of ironic. It's not ironic at all, actually, that Matt talked about being undignified and dancing because conveniently enough, in the last song, there's a chance for us to dance. <laughs> <laughs> it's so exciting. You're not excited as I am. That's okay. All right. So this is a repeat after me song. You've heard a bunch of them, but it goes like this. So we'll practice and turn to your neighbor and say, I'm sorry for what's about ready to happen. Go ahead. Just just go ahead. and You need to warn them. So it goes like this. I am free to run. You sing. I am free to run. All right. So you guys will follow her. All right. Just so we're all on the same page here. Okay. All right. So I am free to run. I am free to run. Because I am free to dance. I am free to live for you, I am free to live for you, cause I am free. All right, I think you got it. You, you think we can do this? All right, all four of you, good? That's good. <laughs> Sing it with me. Through you, the blind will see. Through you, the mute will see. Through you, the dead will rise. Through you, all hearts will praise. Through you, the darkness flees. Through you, my heart screams. I am free. I we'll try. We'll start it off. I am. Say, I am free to run. I am. Through you the mute will sing. Through you the dead will rise Through you all hearts will break Through you the dark, I would stream it out
0: This is just my thing. It's never been my thing, and I hate it (laughs) sometimes. I don't hate it. I love it because I think that's what we're made to be. So uh, even on this next song, um, give yourself permission to do a little stretch, whether it's now or throughout the week in your home. But uh, we do that when we're watching NBA games or IU basketball games or whatever. So we ought to be able to do it uh, before God. So let's, yeah. Yeah.
1: the heavens. We will sing, sing, sing. We're grateful that you hear us when we shout your praise and live in the name of Jesus. A little louder, come on. We will sing, sing, sing. that you hear us when we shout your praise live high the name of Jesus come on church let's celebrate about you what's it not to love about you heaven and earth adore you kings and kingdoms bow down son of God you are the one you are the one who lives for. you are the love that frees us you are the love that frees us You are the life that leads us like a fire burning, Son of God, you are the one, yeah.
0: God, we uh, we ask God that You would deliver us from uh, our dignity. We ask You that You would deliver us from our clutching hands that doesn't want to let go of anything expensive for You. Pray that You would deliver us um, from all those things that we think we need to be alive and strong. When the reality is, is when we can leave our dignity behind in, in the sense that You're asking us to, and when we can leave our security behind and in the sense the ways you ask us to that that leads us to a place of strength a place of joy a place of wholeness a place of peace and then God in that way we desire to offer you uh, that you would we would we would live our lives this week as a pleasing aroma to you and we ask this all in the name of Jesus Um, amen hey a couple things remember the sign up for the distinction basketball to pray Uh, Paul Kostanski, maybe you can stand under the American flag If you want to bike with Paul today, look for Paul over there And then uh, help us with the white chairs We sack him up over there All right, thanks for coming